the coaches network bringing the game together hey guys you're now listening to the coaches network podcast a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete talent and personal development my name is coach yas and i'm a uefa a license football coach coach developer and content creator i'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys their life lessons and how you can make an impact enjoy Right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and today I've got a very special guest with me. My guest today is Lee Johnson. Morning, Lee. How are you? I'm well, thanks, yes. Uh, thanks for having me on. Look, thank you for being with me. Look, just to start us off, Lee, you know, um, for those that aren't familiar with who you are and the work that you've done in the past, would you mind just giving us a bit of a background as to what that is and how you've got to where you got to today? Um, and I'm sure, you know, that will give us plenty to kind of pick and probe on throughout the conversation. Yeah, great. Um, so... I've been coaching now for over 20 years professionally. Um, I started off coaching uh, as a volunteer, as, as most people do, grassroots clubs, etc. Um, and then when I'd done my badges at uh, 18, I started my, my badges then, um, I got an opportunity to, to work uh, for Crystal Palace part-time initially um, for their foundation. And that, that led into a full-time role. So I was there for about five years. Um, I worked in, in the club's academy during that period as well. Um, I then had an opportunity to uh, become an FA licensed tutor, um, which was you know something that was, was quite good. I was quite passionate about developing people and coaches, especially with the role that I was doing. Um, and I then left Palace to set up my own coaching company, um, which was based in South East London and then in Kent. So we would run uh, schools programs and coach education and uh, I got an opportunity then from from there to to join Chelsea uh, working in, in their academy uh, and I was there for around six years and um, after that I, I left in 2012 and then moved to Rwanda in Africa and was the technical director for the for the National Federation and also coached the, the under 17s the 23s and, and the senior team and then I moved to India to, to become the assistant national team coach and uh, was the head coach of the under-19s and 23s. Um, on uh, returning to England, I think it was 2017, I then joined Barnet as head of coaching. And um, so that's kind of, that's my, my journey in a nutshell. Fantastic. You know, you kind of crammed, I guess, maybe 15 years plus there in about five, in less than 15 seconds. Um, <laughs> Just going to take you right back to the start of it. You said you started your coaching uh, coaching qualifications around age 18. What was it about coaching that kind of caught your eye that really got that ball rolling for you? Well, I had as uh, I had like every aspiration of, of being a of being a pro. You know, I was playing for Millwall as a schoolboy. Loved the game. Was like really really passionate about playing it, and I was doing well at the time. And then, like so many of us, we have like bad injuries, and I just started to fall out of love with actually playing and um, I got released from from Millwall when I was about 16 and when I was at school my PE teacher had his own uh, had his own coaching company and I'd done a little bit of voluntary work um, for him and I kind of really really enjoyed it I, I got you know got right into to the coaching side of things not having any aspirations of being a, a professional coach as such and maybe seeing it as a career option it was just more I like doing it I, I like working with young players I liked um, learning new things and it was just like a, an addition to, to me playing um, so if I couldn't make it as a, a professional then maybe it's something that potentially I would have considered doing you know as a career 
Uh, and then when I was when I was in secondary school, I was playing for Graves and Northfleet in their youth team. And um, my manager uh, at the time had his own company, and um, he ran lots of school school programs and holiday camps and stuff. And I got involved with 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 you know coaching with him, and, and I think he was the real kind of like turning point, I suppose, in terms of how I viewed coaching and 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 it made me feel like, well, that's what I really want to do then. Like he was quite a, you know, influential in, in that decision. And, you know, he's a good coach, played the game, um, you know, had a good career. And, you know, when I see him working with players and how he kind of interacted and, and uh, you know, bonded with, with, with the kids at the time, it was just sort of like, well, you know, I, that was one of my biggest actually, you know, takeaways from him, how to in, engage with, with people. And, in, and it's all about having a good personality and I think you know coaching so that was from an early age that was something like I felt that I had I was a good people person and I tried wanted to utilize that skill within uh within within coaching and obviously further develop that so that's initially how I got started and um you know so when I was when I was 18 I'd, I'd done my level two and then progressed onto my B license and and so on and I just got this bug for it in the end and uh I moved clubs I was playing for Dartford Football Club and my manager at the time was Nicky Johns. And uh, he was uh, the manager of uh, Crystal Palace's foundation programme. And um, through him, I got involved, uh, you know, with, with, with coaching. And, and that was my real, my, my first real job, coaching professionally or working full-time in football. And I, I, was at, I was 19 when I started. So I was quite young and I was quite naive, you know, still quite immature. You know, it's not until you step into a working environment you grow up quite quickly and coming from Kent where I grew up it was completely different from going into southeast London the environment was completely different the dynamics completely different and for me it was like okay well um you know I need to I need to grow up a bit here and you know immerse myself into the environments that I was working in and, and that's something that I you know I try to do Brilliant. You know, you're obviously talking about there immersing yourself in, you know, <clears> to touch back on obviously the coaching qualifications. It seems like you kind of immerse yourself in those a little bit as well because, you know, to kind of progress onto your UEFA B at age 18 it isn't common. Uh, certainly, or probably more so now than, than it was back then anyway. Um, what was that like? You know, what was, you know, what was going through the qualifications at that point there um, like for you? And, you know, would you mind maybe talking to your perception of how the qualifications were back then and, and where they've progressed to now? Uh, and what your views are on that? I think like back then it was pretty much a, a standard pass or foul. So you did your you did your two weeks course, and then you went back after six months to then do your assessments. So my level two, I found that quite standard. It was quite quite basic for me because you know you're teaching basic technique and elements of the game, um, tactical elements of the game in, in small sided um, situations. So that was something that I was getting used to through doing doing the work that I was doing at the time in. And when I when I started my B license, that was for me the next level. I felt that the the time um, between taking my my level two to, to my B license was was too short. I needed to to gain a bit more experience and, and gain more knowledge and understand the game a bit better. Um, I, I wouldn't say I struggled, but it was difficult. The the course that I did um, at the time there was a lot of former former players on it. So it was quite, I was quite intimidated by, by people that was on, on the course. And, um, and the, the, the tutors were, were really good. That, you know, they were very supportive. But I actually failed my first 
attempt um, when, I, when I took my B licence. And I was really nervous leading into that whole assessment. Or, you know, I wasn't sure whether I was ready to go. And I, I actually remember driving down there. I was like that close to phoning him up and saying that something's come up, I can't come today. Like I was, I was like, really like nervous about actually about doing it. But I actually think failing that the first time made me a better coach and because he you know I think nowadays coaches get fast track through a lot of qualifications quite quickly um and you know I, I think back then that, that that pass or foul situation it might have been it was right then maybe I think obviously things have changed so much more now but um I, I think coaches need to take time and actually learn and and, and practice and educate themselves because the jump from from even doing a like level two to, to an A license is huge. And it was huge back then. And I suppose like if if I was like looking back at, at myself, then I, I would have liked to have been a bit more prepared leading in leading into that first assessment. But failing it was was a good thing for me. It kind of taught me a little bit, you know, about myself, but also, you know, that I really wasn't ready at that time to to gain that qualification. So then I went back. A few months later, and then you know, passed the passed the course. So it, it it was it was a good experience, even though it was a difficult one to take so early on. Um, but I, I do I think the qualifications that that are in place now, I think they're they're you know they're you know really really good. They're a gold standard for me. Like if you look at other federations across the world, they do look to the English FA as like a the leading force in in coach education. Um, and I think with the introduction of like the youth award and uh, doing the doing the modules and gaining the AYA, I think that's a really good introduction to to coaching in a holistic approach. Where back then you never got taught about that. It was everything was about what you're doing on the pitch, how can you influence a player's decision on the pitch. It's all technical, tactical driven. Um, that was the main focus. But everything now is is changed as you know as you're aware. And I think that's for the better. I just think I suppose. My only kind of <clears throat> concern sometimes is that you get a lot of young coaches getting the qualifications quite early on, at, you know, at quite a young age, um, and maybe think they're a license ready when actually they're they're not, and they need they need that experience and that time to to gain the knowledge to back up the actual qualification that they've got. Yeah, and no, I can definitely relate to that. I mean. For my, you know, just to kind of get a bit better back on my own journey, you know, I've, I've done my level two age, 18, similar to you, uh, 19 maybe. Uh, but then, you know, I went on to do my B license a couple of years later due, due to personal reasons. But then as soon as, like, within six months of finishing my B, I actually, or six to eight months of finishing my B, I actually went on to my A. Um, and I guess, you know, there's no one size fits all approach. I think for me, it was always, right, if I know what the next stage looks like and I stop, and, I, and I've, get, I've got a bit of a, an exposure to that, I can start preparing and working towards that, if that makes sense. Um, but equally, obviously, there's an argument of, right, go and get the qualification and go and put it to use first before, and really hone the skills and the things that you've picked up on that on that course. Um, so, you know, there is two elements to that. I know some coaches might be listening to this, well, yeah, but I'm keen to kind of get through the qualifications and others think, well, I want to get some experience. I think there's validity in both um, thoughts of um, school of thoughts in that respect. I guess just from the, you know, you talked there about the coaches being younger nowadays, uh, trying to get through some of these qualifications, um, which I agree with, but I think you know that also maybe comes in line with the idea that actually coaching is now become a general uh, profession. 
uh, whereas maybe 10, 15 years ago, it probably wasn't like that. Or maybe even before that, it was you had to be of a certain background or, or you know, have certain ex life experiences or certain networks to kind of be considered as appropriate for the environment, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, back then when I started, um, there were very few opportunities to coach at an elite level. You know, the uh, academy system uh, has changed massively over the last 10, 15 years. A lot of money has gone into it. Um, therefore, there's, you know, more opportunities to, to work in a game across all of, all the different, you know, departments. Um, so I completely understand why a young person would want to, you know, accelerate themselves and, and get, get an opportunity as, as quickly as they can. Um, I think when, when I was growing up, doing, doing the work that I did when I started, going into the schools, working in local communities, you know, running uh, after school clubs, all of these experience really, really like, honed my skill set. Um, and for me, coaching is all about uh, communication, building relationships. And, and that was something that I felt that really, really helped me out. Um, and I still use that today. I think that's one of my strengths as a coach and not necessarily as a coach, but just as a person in general. I like to think most people that come across me on a, on a daily basis in a professional or a social kind of background would, would you know, relate to me quite well and you know I can I can kind of engage in, in conversation and I think that's stemmed from from my early years of, of coaching in those types of environments um, and that helped me as I've progressed you know when I when I was like 19 20 no way did I think that you know I was going to be coaching at international level that wasn't even on my mind you know I just enjoyed the moment I enjoyed working you know, in football and just wanted to see where, where it progressed. And, and that was, that was all I was thinking about at the time. Um, but I, I, I do feel that experience is, is, is key to, to anything that, that you do. And, um, you know, we're all learning, you know, I'm taking the time now to, to study and to keep myself educated, to, to learn new skills and, and, you know, develop in other areas. And we never stop, we never stop learning. We're always going to, you know, develop and, um, you know, I just, like, I suppose, like you say, people want, want things at different, you know, different times and, you know, it's not one size fits all. So I completely, completely understand that. Just kind of talk on there, you know, that, 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 that word development, you know, we want to look at how you, how your career then develops. You know, you've gone from working after school clubs and, you know, community settings doing level two gone got your b license maybe to kind of build up some more experience what what happens from there where you know where do you go next from there so i got an opportunity to 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 work in the academy uh, at palace so the the academy back then was was not what it's like today you know it was the, the resources were you know were good but they weren't on the level that they are um but the players were good you know so you're, you're going from a community setting working with mixed ability then to go and work in a, an elite environment, it's two different skill sets. You know, one the one skill set is understanding how to engage and you know work work with children you know on mass participation, and then the other is to work specifically with an elite group of players to develop them uh, in an elite environment. So it's completely different. The the approach is different, and I think initially the the transition between the two roles was quite tough for me because I've gone from all I've known is literally based community-based work. Um, and then stepping into like an elite environment at such a young age, it was like, okay, my, my whole approach needs to change. My, my communication needs to change. My, 
you know, the way I, the way I teach players um, needs to change. And, and it took a bit of time, you know, there was a few, you know, difficult moments where, um, you know, I'd put sessions on and they, they was a car crash and it was like, well, that, that wasn't at the level it should have been. And it was purely based on the experiences I've had in, in my other role. I thought that that would be like applicable to, to working in, you know, in, in this like new environment, let's say. And that's when you start to learn. And I think, you know, you can, you can, uh, you can you make mistakes and nothing, any coach that's out there, maybe listen to this, don't be afraid to, to make mistakes. That's, that's how you learn. That's how you're going to get better. You know, we see players playing football all the time, players making mistakes all the time. They just learn from that and get better at it. Um, so I, I see it was a really good opportunity for me again to then develop onto the next level. And I think when I, when I did my, um, my FA tutors license qualification, again, that was the next step. You're then the tutor teaching people how to, to become coaches. So you're seeing it from a different perspective. You know what the standard is like, you know what the expectations are, you know, in terms of how a coach should behave and the role model and, you know, the, the things that they should be, you know, setting out to the players that they're working with. And, you know, again, it's it's something that was just another string add into my bow. Uh, and I, so I was getting a perspective, I had a perspective of being a community coach, being a, an academy coach and then being a coach educator. And I felt that was something that really, really helped me out. So just from your experiences working as a coach educator, what was the biggest thing that you kind of picked up that you were able to then implement and transfer into your, I guess, your actual coaching itself? Well, I was young, actually. I think I was 23 when I started coach education. So you can imagine turning up to you know a venue with um, guys and girls that, that maybe were a lot older than you, uh, you know, had more life experience in yourself and you're then teaching them how to, you know, coach football. Sometimes you can look, be looked down upon and like, well, you know, what's this young lad like? You know, who is he? You know, what's he done? You know, so all of these things you start to think about. But I think for me, the biggest, the biggest thing is, is how you, how you come across and how you communicate with, with individuals. I wouldn't say I was an expert back then. I'm not saying I'm an expert now, but I do think that you, you need to, you need to be able to communicate with people from, from all different backgrounds at all different ages as well. And I think that that's something that really, you know, was again, was a turning point into how I, coach football how I communicated with people and so that was that was one thing and then I suppose back then it was when I was teaching like the level one it was very standardized you know you taught this this practice you did it this way and that's what you look for from the candidates that that were assessing but I felt that for me coaching was was becoming a profession for me and you know, I like to pride myself on a standard that, you know, that I'd set myself. And so I would look for standards across the candidates, how they would present themselves, how they would talk, you know, how they would turn up, would they turn up on time? All of these things, because at the end of the day, that's, you're, you know, if you pass someone, you're giving them the license, let's say, to then go and work with players. You want that person to be the right type of role model for the, for the people that they're working with. Uh, and I actually remember... It's quite funny, actually. This this guy's turned up for his assessment in a pair of Bermuda shorts and a and a tank top, um, and, and some boots to do his to do his session. And I was like, "No, you're not doing that." And I, I turned him away straight away because I thought to myself, "Like, how could I allow that? You know, how can I 
you know, forget my age, forget my experience. I'm, I'm tutoring that course. That's my responsibility to, to, you know, get people through it. But if that's how he's actually approaching uh, an assessment, then how would he approach, you know, coaching players, you know, in a, you know, in a grassroots type of environment. And I just think it would be completely wrong for me to have let him, let him do his, let him do his assessment. So it was things like that. And I just thought, no, you're not doing it. And he, and he, and he didn't, he wasn't happy, but you know, I just thought that was the, the best decision to do. And so I, I was looking at standards and, and, and how to communicate. I think they were the two, two big things for me uh, at the time, you know, Excellent. Yeah. So from there, you do 23 coach education, working in the academy now, and you know, a B licensed coach, range of experiences, such I guess still a relatively early stage in your coaching journey, you know, five or six years into it. Where does the journey go from there? Because you know, you talked there at the top of the conversation that you, you know you've had time as a technical director in Rwanda, uh, time as the assistant uh, national team coach with India. How does that happen? that's why I think when people want something so much, I think sometimes yeah, you strive to, to get, you know, to, you know, to fill out for, you know, fulfill your dreams. Let's say I never, as I said earlier, had, had any aspirations of, of doing what I'd done. I was just happy just seeing where the journey took me. And I think it's all about grabbing opportunities and taking them. And so I left palace to start my own company. And that was something that was really, really good for me. Um, it gave me an opportunity to to manage myself, manage my time, um, again develop another skill set because you're managing people now, you're managing relationships with clients, etc. And that was one of the best decisions you know that, that I had made. Alongside that, um, I then started working at, at Chelsea, and so I was in. Well, I went in part time. I was coaching in their development centres, coaching under eights, the under tens, and various other age groups and it, it, again it came through through an opportunity that that you know come my way through through someone that I'd known you know for for a long time and uh you know he he just joined the club his name's Michael Bill um he's now uh, first team coach at Rangers so he he had joined he had joined uh, uh Chelsea and he said look you know I, I, I need some staff to to work in some of the development centers that we're that we're you know putting across London, you know, would you be interested in coming on board? So initially it fitted in with, with my, my schedule, with, with me running my business and, uh, and it was a good fit for me. Um, but Chelsea takes things to a completely different level and everything that they, they done when I was there, like walking into that environment, the way in which people conduct themselves, um, was, was first class, you know, the, the level that people have to aspire to every day is, is unbelievable and um, it was something that inspired me to to really want to work you know at this level and potentially beyond and so as I as I started working there another opportunity came to then work with the under eights and then the under tens and uh, you know other age groups and I've been blessed to work and uh, with some fantastic players that are now gone through the whole academy system and now playing in the first team or playing overseas in Europe have represented their countries. And to see that and to see their journey and how they, from where they started to, to where they are now, it's just a nice, it's a nice thing to, to you know, to play a part in. So, um, but after, after a while, I felt that like anyone, we want to progress. We want to keep learning. We want to get better. I just felt that 
the opportunities at Chelsea for me to do that were, you know, were a bit dry and I wasn't maybe going to get given the chance that I felt that I either deserved or would have wanted. So I had a chance to, to go out to America. Um, Neil Bath, the academy manager at the time, said that an opportunities uh, come up to, to go to, to New York uh, for a few months to work with um, a company called Inside Soccer. So there was like a coach education online platform at the time. So they had a partnership with a club and I actually went out there for three months to, to, to work with them. And that's when it will change for me, like completely going overseas, uh, working in a completely new environment. I felt actually that I became more confident working overseas than I, than I did working in England. I felt like the, the reins and maybe the pressure that either you put on yourself or the pressure that's around you, you know, was relieved. Uh, and I was able to kind of come out of my shell a bit more. So part of the, 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 the job in, in the States was to run coaching uh, conventions across North America. So we, we ran a couple of coaching conventions and, and someone was watching me deliver a session. I was then approached um, later on in that year to, to go out to the NSCAA convention um, in Philadelphia to present. And initially I thought it was a wind-up because I'd been the previous year and it's a massive event, it's huge. Um, and hopefully once the pandemic's uh, cleared up, if you, people get a chance to go to, to the States, to the, to the convention, it, you know, it's, it's an unbelievable event and well worth going to. So I, I felt it was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a wind up initially. And um, I then accept, accepted the offer to go out there and, and end up doing a presentation, um, a coaching presentation. And, and Dick Bate um, was doing a session next to me on, on the other pitch. And uh, from, from that, that actual session opened about three or four doors and, you know, eventually led for me going out to, to Rwanda. I met the, um, he wasn't the, the national team coach at the time, but he, a guy called Steve Constantine, and he was out there presenting as well. So we, we, you know, we connected and stayed in contact. And uh, he then became the national team coach in, in Rwanda and told me about the opportunity of, of going out to Rwanda as a technical director. And, it, and I, again, I thought, well, is this, you know, is he being serious? Because I don't think people realise how big these roles are until you're actually in them. And I didn't think I was maybe ready for it. And this is me being completely honest. I was 33 at the time to be a technical director of a national federation. I was the youngest in the world uh, when I went out there. Yes, I've had experience, but maybe not on that kind of level. Um, and so I was really, really kind of uh, naive in terms of what to expect and and um, and maybe how big the actual job was. So. I, I ended up going over there and, um, you know, that was an unbelievable experience for me from start to finish. And I think probably the best experience that I've, that I've had because you're going, from, you're going from an environment which you know where everything's in place. You've got all the resources to do your job. You've got good players that you're working with. You've got nice facilities. You've got good people around you. So then go to, to an African country that's had a past that's come through, come through what they've come through and are rebuilding. And you're then trying to develop like the football on a national level to, to give people opportunities was something that I really, really, you know, wanted to be a part of. And, you know, I could say I thoroughly enjoyed it. Fantastic. And you, know, you talked a, 
I think one of the key bits I probably want to pull on is that is that self awareness piece and that uh, self reflection. Say, do you know, what, am I actually ready for this, or what? What's my skill set that I can bring to it? And I think just having that mindset of being able to just do that in its first instance is is a very positive step. So you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer of if you recognize the current state of affairs, then you're halfway there to kind of overcoming any cha- any challenges in front of you. Um, if you're not aware of that, then you're not going to be able to deal with it. I think that having that in your mind, I think it almost people say, you know, when the opportunity comes up, you've got to be, you know, is it the right one? And is it not the right one? But sometimes you won't know until you try it. Um, you know, it, it, it's through those situations there where you, it's, I'm a firm believer, if there's a job available that you're interested in doing, do it and learn on the job. Learn yeah. on the job. Because if you, if you, if I think if you work hard enough and you're passionate enough about it, you will pick up what you need to pick up and the rest will kind of, um, bring itself together in that respect so kind of just on that then you speak just you know before we kind of move on that experience there at Rwanda what was the biggest thing that you took away from that experience for yourself the whole experience in in general I think someone's asked me this question before but when you when you go overseas and when you're working in a completely new environment you can't go with a mindset right I'm going to change the world I'm going to do this this and this because it's just not going to happen you know, so you have to be aware, first of all, of the environment you're working in and the people that you're working with and their expectations. So for me to maybe go into, into Rwanda and go, right, we're going to do exactly what, you know, we've done at Chelsea and I'm going to implement that here. You can't do that because they don't have the, the resources and the infrastructure and, you know, uh, various other things to, to be able to do that. So you have to work within your means, but you have to prioritize. I think one of the biggest things that I did, you know, in the first like couple of weeks that I that was over there was um, organize and arrange meetings with key stakeholders. So um, the Ministry of Sport have a major part to play in all of the national federations across all sports. And, um, you know, speaking to them and, and seeing what their vision is and understanding where they want to take football was really important understanding what the president of the federation um what his what his vision was and how we can align everything together going to meet all of the football clubs and seeing you know what things works work well there and what things don't what they like to see improve so that was a real good you know eye opener for me because then it gave me an opportunity then to go right well these are the things that I can now start to work on these are the, these are the things that I'm going to prioritize so one of the one of the biggest things was coach education they needed to upskill their coaches and um, they needed to develop like a, a youth development program for for young players so they were they were the two main things that I, that I actually started to work on so we set up a grassroots schools program not too dissimilar to what you might do you know uh, if you was working you know in a foundation uh, a professional club in England um, well we did it we rolled it out nationally and it was a big big task because we were limited on staff um, and resources but we we piloted it and you know it then became something that was part of the football calendar or part of the calendar within within schools and then we um, we organized a uh, a youth youth league a national youth league for for boys and girls from under 15s to under 17s is something that they didn't have in place in the country at the time and and when i when i joined the federation the president was like this is something that has to happen this is what we've agreed 
uh, with FIFA. This is all what we've agreed with the government. This needs to to be done. So there was quite a lot of pressure initially to to get to get the league set up because anyone that's you know organised the league before there's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, and I actually remember the first time that we 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 launched it. We launched it in the north of. Uh, north of the country so over 5,000 people turned up to watch on the 13s game and on the 15s game and that was all from the local community came to the you know this field and the crowd around this pitch and it was a huge event like FIFA were there um, like CAF were there as well and it was good and, and actually the leagues are still in place today um, which which is something that I'm quite proud of um, and like the coach education was 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 a huge um, like plus for me to to get organised, you know, they went from having something like four courses a year to to something like twenty to thirty courses across all different aspects of football, um, and you know that's something that I felt that needed to happen. But you can only work with what you've got and with the resources that you have at your disposal. Um, but I think with one of the biggest things that that during my time, you know, happened was. The, the national team's improvement in the FIFA rankings. Like we went from 134th to, to 64th in the world. Um, and you know, it was the highest like, ranking that the country's ever had. And then it was big, big news, you know, and especially on the African continent. And, um, you know, we'd done, we'd done a really, really good job. And uh, Steve had left like around, I think it was December or, or, or January to go to India. So I then stayed um, and basically managed the, the national team until until I left and but yeah there's there's some big achievements I think that that I had during my time there but for anyone wanting to go and work overseas I think if it's something that you've always wanted to do then then definitely do it but if it's something that you're not sure of um, then do it as well because you like you said earlier you learn from doing and it might not be you you might go there you might think mm, no, she's not for me can't I can't do this, but you might go there and it might blow your mind. You know, you, you might just be experienced with so many different things um, that you wouldn't have if you was in England or another country, you know, if you were staying at home. It was so the exposure going into that role was 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 really big for me. And I didn't realise the level of like attention, especially across the media, that I was gonna get until I until I arrived. It was quite difficult to to, to deal with and manage at first, but then I suppose as you grow into the job and, and you learn, you kind of, you, you, you understand how to, to play the, the presser, let's say. I'm, I'm just curious, you know, um, and I'm just, you know, I'll, I guess I'll ask it quite bluntly. What was it like for you as a white man going into that cult, that environment and that, that culture? Did you, did you feel any, did you feel any intimidation from that perspective? Was there any um, preconceptions of, of, from your perspective or what that might be and that, what, you know, in the, I guess the realities of that, what, what was that like? Yeah, I was nervous from start to finish, from from when I left like uh, the airport, um, you know, in England to to flying out there. The whole journey, I was thinking, is this the right decision? Have I done the right thing? But on, you know, when I landed, from the moment they picked me up to the moment I left, the people there were were magnificent with me, absolutely fantastic. There wasn't a thing that that I didn't go without. You know, they made sure that everything was in place for me, especially in terms of me being uh, away from my job. So like, you know, how, you know, my, my accommodation, you know, putting me in touch with certain people to, to help me, 
socialize and, and navigate my way, my way, my way around like Kikahali and all of those things were, were really, really important to me. So um, I think that really helped me settle in terms of me being, a, you know, a white man in, in, in an African country, it was a little strange because you become, you go from being a minority, a uh, majority to a minority. And I can understand maybe how people, some, you know, might feel. Um, and it, it was strange. It was a different, completely different experience. Um, I remember going to a school. Um, I think I, I arrived on the Tuesday and on the Friday, I was doing like a tour around Kigali and I went to this school. <clears throat> And as I as we drove in, I got out of the car and all these kids came running towards me, all shouting, Mazungu, 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 all pointing at me, pointing at me and coming up to me, touching my skin and touching the hair on, on my arms and stuff like that. And it was purely because they hadn't seen that many like, you know, white men, you know, in, in their time. And it was a new experience for them. And for me to be in in that environment and you know, have that experience was like very humbling, like really, really humbling. And I remember this, this young kid's come up to me and he's held me this, this ball and it was just made of like um, material and wrapped in string. And I was like, well, like, how can I not kind of play football with you and all your mates now? So we ended up having a game of football and I stayed to watch, like watch him train. And, and it, it was a real, real good experience. And I think you have to be really humble in those situations. Appreciate what you've got, appreciate what you've got at home. But when you're in, when you're in a completely different environment where people don't have as much, you have to be really understanding, and um, and I think that's something that I, I really learned quite quickly. You you've got to be be completely aware of your surroundings. Mm. Well, just kind of on that, then, Lee. You know, I'm just picturing it. You talked there about you know this humbling experience. Um, <laughs> did you find that that experience helped you develop more em empathy for uh, more specifically, the, I guess, the black community in coaching um, and maybe what they're potentially going through, but just underrepresented groups in general. And how has that then, you know, how have you then taken that? And obviously you've then had a similar potential experience in some of the things that you've kind of observed going to India. And I'm sure we'll get onto that. Have you then taken those experiences and I guess, where you've potentially developed more empathy and an understanding of what it might be or what it might feel like to be a minority and knowing that and going living through some of those things what have you been able to bring back with you and i'm sure we'll get on to get on to the we'll, we'll talk about the end but i'm really curious to know what have you brought back to you from that perspective that you feel has um, helped you maybe potentially shift the culture and attitudes around underrepresentation more specifically from black and asian coaches in in, in the game I think initially the first thing I would say is that I'm, I've got so much more empathy towards people and uh, it, it really humbled me. Like the whole experience in, in Rwanda humbled me massively. And I was, I'm a humble person anyway, but just even more so because in, in England and, and in the Western world, you, you know, we always moan and groan about what we don't have and, you know, how, how bad things are, but you don't realize how bad things are until you go to a country which is underdeveloped. And you see how people live um, and you see poverty firsthand, then you realize how lucky you are, you know? So that was one thing that, that was, you know, a big learning, you know, learning experience for me, understanding, understanding that, and also understanding how to behave around people. 
So uh, Kigali, the capital, is a very developed uh, a capital city. There's a lot of um, NGOs and government embassies there. Um, so there's a lot of the big expat community, um, which which actually helped me out because it helped me, you know, in terms of socialising with people and, and getting out about and meeting people. But um, I think at a time of, if you're asking me about underrepresentation, it wasn't something that has ever ever like really crossed my mind. If I'm, I'm being honest, at the time I was, especially when I was there, I think now people are so much more aware of underrepresentation. There needs to be more opportunities for people, regardless of your background, if you're good enough for 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 the role and you deserve to be be doing that job, then you should you should you should do it. I think. Um, me being a minority in the majority country was was yeah it was a, a very strange experience but I, I felt what I needed to do over there was just try to help people um, save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or 7-up all with your card Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Because you know, I'm not going to be there for the next 10, 20 years. I'm going to be there for, I was there for initially for a two on a two year contract. So I'm not going to change everything in two years, but I can help influence and influence decisions. So one of the things I'd like to think that I did is give give local coaches an opportunity to one upskill and have more experiences. So the current national team coach now of Rwanda was my assistant at the time, and he was the assistant of uh, Steve Constantine. He's now you know progressed and been you know promoted as the the national team. He's done really really well. Uh, the under 17s assistant national team coach that was working with me. He's now. The under the under twenties head coach, so coaches have progressed, and there's obviously more coaches that have gone on to to you know take on more more roles since I've left, and I, I felt that that was one of the things that I had to be responsible for is giving people a chance and an opportunity to you know to develop in 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 those in those ways, um, because you're not going to change everything in 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 such a short period of time, you know change takes time and almost it's like a generation you know for things to change and I, I just felt that having that experience and you know living living in you know in Rwanda and just seeing how people lived their lives and and how people worked was you know was really really beneficial for me you know and, and I think it's made me a better person but also a better coach because I understand I felt like, I feel like now I'm a better understander of people Definitely. You know, you, know, you talked about your time at Rwanda. You, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of around 2015-ish. Um, you've now gone from Rwanda, I'm assuming, into now, I guess, building that ongoing relationship that you've got with Stephen Constantin, and you've now gone to assist him with the India side. Yeah, so I think during my time during my time in Rwanda, I really wanted to like, coach or be on the grass because, that, again, that's, that's what I started doing. That's my bread and butter. That's something that, you know... I wanted to continue. So when you're working in, in the National Federation, there's very limited opportunities to work with national teams um, unless it's international duty. 
So there's obviously a gap between your fixtures and when you would play. So I just felt that I needed to, to, to be coaching. Um, I think that the, the experience of being a technical director really, really helped me because it was not understanding all of the things away from the pitch, things that I was completely unaware of, how to build relationships, how to manage key stakeholders, how to manage expectations, all of these things, how to put things in place, things I hadn't done before. But I felt that I was a bit too young for the job, if I'm being completely honest. I felt that I needed to gain more experience, especially international level. And I wanted to be back on the grass. So <clears throat> when Steve went to India, he um, initially approached me and said, like, would I consider coming over? And obviously knowing that I was um, knowing that I was already in Rwanda. And I I did say, well, you know, what, what's the role? Because I'm not going to just jump ship for, for a role that's not going to help me, uh, you know, develop. He goes, look, well, I want you to be my assistant with a national team and then you're going to, you're going to be the head coach of the under-19s and also the 23s. So the under-19s were on a full-time academy programme, so they had a national academy. So from under-15s upwards, they had a, a national full-time academy. So that meant straight away it became appealing to me because I would be working with players on a daily basis, which is something that I really wanted to, to do. I was working at an, an international level um, with the best players in India and working, you know, playing, playing against... Um, you know, countries overseas. And the experience I felt was going to really, really benefit me. And then also adding to that, I'd be working with, you know, with a senior team. So it became a bit of a no-brainer. And, and that was really my decision for, for going. So I, I went out there in the April, May of 2015. And again, it's there's a lot of similarities between the two countries because of, you know, India is underdeveloped in in large parts and there is a lot of poverty there as well and again I think if I hadn't been out in Rwanda I I wouldn't have been able to maybe dealt with that experience the way I dealt with it because I had a better understanding of, of what to to do and how to kind of manage manage myself. I think that's you know, fantastic obviously you've got the opportunity to kind of experience some of those different things so I guess you know you spent a couple of years at India um, then you've obviously brought yourself back to back to London more specifically. Um, head of coaching at Barnet, did that role come up before you came across, or was that the reason why you came across? So I had two years in India, and I I, I loved every minute uh, working out in India. The the whole experience from from when I arrived to when I left was was really good. You know, I, pre I travelled so much during my time there. I think. I worked it out as, as nearly nearly a hundred flights in in one year that I did. So I was on a, on a plane, you know, quite a lot because we had to travel to games across India and then also go go across Asia for, for matches. So but just the whole kind of experience was, was good for me. But I missed home. If I'm being honest, that like my partner, she was living in London and I was away from her for two years. And so it was a case of if I could stay again for you know an extended period or come home and you know my heart kind of told me that I needed to come back so I decided to come back in 2017 and um, I spent some time kind of readjusting myself into into life back in England because it's such a fast-paced uh, society that we live in in, in, in this country um, and in, in India it's quite slow-paced you know things are especially where I was living I was living in Goa so it's quite slow there 
you know, if he was living in Delhi or one of the major cities, yeah, it's like, it's manic, you know, things are going on all the time, but just the way of life was a lot slower. So adjusting myself, and, and I found quite difficult, if I'm being honest, it was quite hard because I've been, I've been in two different countries, the way of life was completely different from what I've ever been used to. I've had to adapt myself into those environments and then come back into an environment I grew up in. <clears throat> Some people might think, oh, it's quite easy to do that, but I actually found it quite, quite a challenge initially. Um, and because I come midway, come back midway through the season, there wasn't really that many opportunities to maybe get back into a club that I would have wanted to. Um, so I just took, took the time to, to connect and rebuild my network. And I ended up doing some work with England actually before they went out to, to India uh, for the under 17s world cup. And that was really, really good for me. Um, you know, they approached me about, you know, coming in and supporting them with their preparation for, for the world cup. And, and that was, that was good. And, you know, Coop, Steve Cooper is now at Swansea was, was really, like really welcoming. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that happened. And then that just led me on to <clears throat> seeing what opportunities were, were around for me. And because I didn't really want to relocate anymore, uh, Barnett came up and uh, I'd known the head of football for a previous job. <clears throat> And I just felt it ticked a, a few boxes. It gave me an opportunity to get back into football in this country. But also because of the position, the, the job that I was doing, it was a new role that had been created. Uh, it was being funded by the Premier League. And also uh, it gave me a chance to be on the, the Premier League EHOP course, which, which is something that's you know been really, really beneficial for me. And it's something I'm still doing now. It's like a, a four-year course. So... Um, once I weighed everything up, I just felt it was the the, the right decision to at, at the time to to go there. Mm. Massive differences in terms of the type of environment you're working in, going from you know the likes of Crystal Palace to going to Chelsea, over to Rwanda, India, now back in you know, back in England at, at Barnet. Um, what I guess what what was going through your mind? Obviously, going having some of the experiences you had. Obviously, you're glad to be back in in England, yeah. London, and whatnot. Um, in terms of an environment, obviously, you know, I think is a category three academy, probably very different to what you've been in, uh, used to in the past. But also, you know, probably better in some ways than you know being out in Rwanda in India when you compare some of the facilities potentially. And I guess for a club its size, it has got some really good facilities and maybe hasn't really reached its potential the way it potentially could have, um, especially when you think about the catchment of players that they can sometimes get in there um, and the training ground, like I said, you know, it's an outstanding facilities for a club of its size. Yeah, I think so initially when I come back, I didn't think it was going to be as difficult as what it was maybe for me to get the job that I would have liked uh, or maybe worked at a club that I would have wanted to. But I soon realised that when, you, when you're away from, from the country for a period of time, you become easily forgotten. And the game's moved on so much more in this country. And, it, and during, during the time that I, I was abroad, it, it, it moved on, um, uh, you know, really, really quickly. So outside, out of mind initially. Um, and I did think that, you know, with some of the experiences that I've had working, working overseas, especially at international level and working with some of the players, you know, that I've worked, at, worked with and, you know, uh, some being part, being a part of some of the games and fixtures that I've been a part of, I would have potentially felt that 
you know, I could have added value to to a club, um, maybe you know, further, you know, higher up uh, the you know the league pyramid, let's say. But you know, it well, it, it wasn't to be, and I just you know, I just I felt to myself, well, look, I've got to take the opportunity if I'm going to be out football. I don't want to be out for too long, but it, it gave me an opportunity to to develop in 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 other areas. Like I was aware of the Triple P before I left, but. I didn't know what actually was involved in the EPP because I'd been away. So actually learning that and being a part of two audits, um, going through the change that we had, that, you know, uh, at Barnet at the time. And you know, I worked with three, three, uh, three academy managers, six first team coaches. There was a lot of change in, in staff during that period as well. And so you get exposed to a lot more at a smaller club. And I think that's something that's really, really helped me out. The exposure that I've had and things that you have to deal with and have to manage, you wouldn't necessarily have that if you was at a bigger club, you know, like the interactions I've had with the owner at Barnet, um, I probably would never have had if I was working, working at another club. So to deal with someone um, like like him and, and understand what he wants and try to manage manage up, yeah, again, it's a, it's, it's a good experience for me. And I think it's something that looking back, as frustrating as it could have been at times, the positives are that the, the, the actual learning experience I've gained from that is hopefully going to set me up and make me better at my job for wherever I go next because I was exposed to so much more, adding to the experiences I've already had. Definitely. I mean, I, I can totally relate to that. You know, <clears throat> in the past, you know, um, it was a real grounding for me in some ways because, like, you know, there's so many different things going on and because of the infrastructure that's there and I guess, well, maybe in some cases considered a lack of infrastructure that's there, you're forced to kind of be creative, be adaptable, be flexible in the way that you work and come up with some, you know, fantastic solutions to kind of get around some of the day-to-day challenges. Like, I remember when I was there, you know, there was, there was, some, there was some really difficult times where you might only have, it sounds crazy when you think, like, it's a professional football club or a professional football club academy anyway, um, you might only have one bag of balls for maybe two or three sets of players. You might only get a quarter of a pitch for a, a squad of twenty-five or two sets of two sets of players, and you know, and then constantly the bookings of the pitches and all of that stuff. You know, you, you know, you know, what I'm talking about there, and it it, it really did challenge you in <laughs> become creative and how you're gonna how are you gonna achieve some of these things? And if, I guess you know, for someone like yourself, maybe coming from an environment where you didn't have to maybe consider some of those things in the past and for someone on the other side of it maybe it's gone from that to kind of going into another environment I think it gives you a different appreciation you know you're not you know you're not you're not thinking right you know what you you're at Barnet okay well I've only got a certain amount of cones balls and bibs that I can use because I need to share it with that lot whereas you know you, the problems you might have at Chelsea well, how, how many cones bibs and balls do I actually want how much I, think, I think again, it comes it comes down to like being humble again, and I think because I've because I've experienced some things, you know, in the previous jobs, not in terms of being under resourced, but just you know being under resourced in, in in other aspects in terms of infrastructures. But I didn't expect maybe to deal with some of the things that I had to to deal with at, um, at the club at the time, and that was a frustration. Because you just felt right. Well, you really want to take the club forward and, and, and progress it. And and you know, most people know that 
Barnett does produce players and, and the catchment area is great for, for the club. You know, we didn't really have to recruit that much because they would almost come off the off the Jubilee line and walk in the back gate and then you've got you've got you know a few players and they're just rolling off off, off nowhere from nowhere. And I felt that was that was you know something that was really, really positive, you know, with regards to the club having having players that were really raw. Um, they were rough diamonds, trying to polish them up and then and, and try to move them on. And I think if the club's approach was different in the sense that we could be a developing club that develops players and then moves them on to other clubs, then you know the, the academy and the club would be in a much better position, you know, than than it was and than, than it currently is because you would have had a continuous conveyor belt of players that you know that you would be developing and you know we would be competing with you know some of the big clubs in London or you know in the southeast um, even though we were we were quite small um, in comparison. But I think what people got to remember is that <clears throat> there's some very, really, you know, very, very good people that worked at the club that have now since left and gone on to, you know, develop their careers um, elsewhere and and are doing really, really well for themselves. And I think that one thing that <clears throat> that whole experience has taught me is how to you must value people, take care of the people that you're working with and that you've got around you, because if you don't, then you know, you're going to lose people. And I think that maybe that might have been a mistake uh, that the club has had over the, the years. Um, it's just understanding the importance of valuing people. Because when I look back at actually the amount of people that have worked there and the jobs that they're doing now, if if we was able, if the club was able to, to you know, keep hold of them and develop them and, and take care of them, the club would be in, in a much better situation than it currently, currently is. Totally but, I'm sorry. I said I totally agree with it. I think you know there there has been, but I think it's because of the nature of the environment forces people to have to develop in some ways. So you're naturally going to get good quality people coming out yeah. that may not have been the best coming in, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course, and it makes you adaptable. Those types of environments make you adaptable. And there's there's lots of other clubs that are very similar to to Barnet, um, and. No, I think when you're working in environments where you have everything, you get used to that and you get comfortable. I wonder how many coaches that are working in a cap one environment could then step back down to a cap three environment and work in that and try to implement and maybe do some of the things that they were doing at the you know, cap one level. I think they would get very frustrated because they're just used to having pretty much everything on a plate for them. Um, but again, like you have to, you have to understand the environment you're working in, the resources you've got, and and be adaptable to your surroundings. And I think that's what Barnet really helped do for me and many other people that have worked there, you know, since, you know, which is which was a positive. It's just a shame that the, the academies like, folded um, and they don't have, you know, a nines to eighteens program anymore. Because, you know, there's a lot of good players that have, you know, fallen out of the system that, you know, should be should be playing playing in an academy football somewhere. 100%. You know, I'm just interested now that, you know, you've had all those different experiences and, you know, a range of different experiences across different countries. What would you say some of the biggest bugbears? What, what, you know, what would you say is a consistent thing that you've seen across all these environments you think to myself, that, you know, this is just something that just doesn't go away. It's there, it's following, coaching, regardless of the environment it's in, if that makes sense. I think egos. I think that's the biggest thing I would say. I think every coach has got an ego. 
because you always think you can improve and you're better than the next uh, previous person. And, and I think it's good to have confidence and believe in yourself and believe in your abilities. But um, I think it's, you have to manage your ego, uh, not you in particular, but in general, because people see through that quite quickly. People can see you know, what you like as a person and, and how you come across. So that's one thing I would say, like managing like ego, the egos of coaches and, and I suppose also the egos of players as well, because regardless of the, the club that you're working in or the environment you're working in, you're always going to have the best players for that team and they're always going to have an ego because they know they're the best player. And so how do you manage that and how do you manage coaches and staff that have egos as well. So that's that's one thing I, I would say that maybe is apparent to me that I've, uh, you know, witnessed over the, the, the time that I've, that I've been coaching or been involved in football. No, I, definitely, I can definitely relate to that one. I think, <coughs> I think it's just an industry that is full of egos and I think, we, we, you know, some bigger than others, shall we say. Um, you know, kind of just to kind of move away from that now, you know, just interested that, you know, you've you had the experience of going to Rwanda and you said it was probably the best experience that you had in your life. Um, what was the biggest challenge that you faced, not just specifically because of your time as Rwanda, but as a coach in general? And it might be something that you're still dealing with now, Lee, um, but I'd be interested to know what it was. If it's something that you've managed to get across or get over, how have you gone about doing that? Or if it's something you're still currently dealing with, how did you plan on getting around it? <clears throat> So in, in Rwanda, the language barrier was a challenge because everyone spoke uh, Kinyuanda, which is their, their national language. So they were starting to introduce English into the national curriculum. And, you know, there was a, a percentage of people that would speak English and communicate that well, you know, through that way. But I had to translate them most of the time. And so to try and learn Kinyuanda would have taken me a long time. Um, being serious and you know you, you have to then think well I'm going to be here for the next 10 years it's worth me doing so finding ways to communicate with people that, that don't understand you um, that that was a challenge initially but I felt that it really helped me enhance my communication because you learn to communicate in other ways so I would coach football through my translator but then I'd use a lot of sign language and I'd put a lot of responsibility on players that understood English that could then translate that to, to their teammates. Um, so for example, the captain of, of Rwanda spoke fluent English. So I used him as a, a as my kind of go-to guy to translate any kind of message that I wanted to, to, to get across to, to the players. And um, that's something that was, that was really, you know, helpful for me. In India, it wasn't so bad because it's, you know, it's commonly spoken like English across the whole country. The fact they've, they've got like 120 different dialects, you know, uh, across India, something ridiculous, I think. Um, but English, English is spoken, you know, all, all over. So that wasn't so bad, it, I suppose. The, yeah, the communication, dealing with that language barrier initially was, was a challenge. But I think dealing with pressure, actually, when you're stepping into that, the sharper end and dealing with the pressure and getting media scrutiny, um, that's tough. That's really, really tough. Like people think like India, small country, yeah, it's a small country in football terms, but you're representing 1.3 billion people. That's huge, you know, and then all of the millions of people that, you know, are living around the world. 
you know, so it's a, you've got a lot of weight and a lot of expectation on your shoulders to, to deliver because you're delivering for a nation, you're delivering for, for people. I'm not saying 1.3 billion, billion people are all going to support football, but there's going to be a huge percentage. So the football fraternity out there is it's really, really passionate about the game. And so you have a, you have a duty of responsibility, duty of care to, to, to get results and do the, do the right things. I think one thing that we, and that would always stay in my mind, was we, the first few games that we had in India, we didn't get off to the best of starts. And it was during our World Cup qualifying group. And um, I think we lost our first four games. And we were playing Guam in, in India, uh, in Bangalore. And the pressure that was building up to that game was something that I've never experienced before because it was all over the press. It was on the news. It was in the papers. You could just sense there was like a, a you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of um, tension around like the camp and especially with the players and, and all of the staff. And basically it was like, well, if you don't win this game, see you later sort of thing. You're going to be potentially going home. And that was something that I could feel. That wasn't necessarily said, but that was kind of how it was feeling. Thankfully, we won the game and then went on a, an unbelievable unbeaten run and um, won the South Asian Championships and, and various other things. So it could have gone completely the opposite. But dealing with that, those types of pressures that you wouldn't necessarily deal with if you're working in an academy somewhere is something that, again, is, is really, really beneficial to you know, understanding how football works in so many different ways because... It can it can make or break it, like understanding how to deal with like pressure. When you're doing like a press conference for the first time and being then grilled by journalists and asked so many questions and knowing what to say and how to say it and not kind of promise too much. You don't want to come across too confident and you know, say you're gonna do this, this, and this, and then and uh, you know, an interview in a couple of months time they then catch you out and say well you, you was going to do this why haven't you done that's what you said a few months ago and so you've got to be very very careful in how you kind of manage the press so <clears throat> those things were were really kind of like new experiences for me some things that I hadn't kind of had before definitely you mentioned there obviously you know your time at Rwanda and like some of the challenges you've had and I could really resonate with that so I mean for me I had a situation where a couple of years ago working in a, like a, I guess like a 16 to 19 further education program. Um, and we had players from, I'm talking around the world, you know, all, all the different continents, all the different parts of the world. So you had players from <coughs> Ethiopia, Eritrea, you had players from Jamaica, you had players from uh, Congo and, you know, all the, just, just literally players from across the world. And that experience was like massive uh, a learning curve for me and a great eye-opener for me in the sense that similar to what you said there about you know you were then relying on certain places to be able to communicate for you because they weren't all able to speak English um, but what it really showed me more than anything is actually what am I going to do if this person is not here to help me so yeah. I mean for me you know uh, what I started doing was I think right what are some of the terms that I like to use as a coach and uh, what do I want them to mean why do I define those terms um, so I ended up finding out I've got myself um, I guess almost like, you know, a mate of mine who can speak a couple of different languages broke down to him exactly what I meant by each of these terms and almost created a little bit of a, a thesaurus or a dictionary, if you like, um, of these different terms I'd like to use when I'm working with these different players. So, you know, that they got to a situation where I had some of these terms in front. Don't ask me now what they are because I can't remember, but 
some of them in French, some of them in Spanish, and you know, some a couple other languages. And I'm so that if I'm speaking to anyone from these communities that are, you know, that speak that dialect, that I can maybe in some ways give them that information. But you know, I was having a conversation recently with someone, and they were talking about how they had an experience where they had to go out to uh, China, I think it was, and. He goes, you know, one thing I took away from the conversation was that if you want to become fantastic at being a, uh, a coach, you can demonstrate, go and work with a group of players that you that don't, don't have to, don't have to uh, speak the same language as you. Yeah. You'll have no choice but to demonstrate. 100%. I think also as well, though, you get respect from players by doing, so like you were talking about having like a little coaching dictionary. Um, so if you can learn certain words that might mean pass, stop, you know, run, all those the basic words, but you know, that, that's going to allow you to communicate better with the players. The players are going to buy into that because they're not going to expect you then to, to speak uh, their language or multiple languages. But if you're showing that you're willing to, to learn and, and, and try, they will, they will start to like jump through hoops for you. And that was the, that was the biggest thing that I, I actually felt from, from, especially from my time in, in Rwanda, that the players really bought into, into it. And like some of the performances that we had, and I'm still in touch with a number of the, the players still now. And we, you know, and and I think that that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have maybe gone that little extra mile to to you know to show that yeah I'm actually willing to try and help you out a bit more and show that you know I actually do care about what I'm trying to do. Hundred percent. I think one of the you know just to kind of to add into that you know I remember from that experience that actually kind of really touched on what you said there so I didn't really stop at the football terms but I, I, at the time I was um, I'm still trying I guess uh, trying to learn Spanish and there was a few Colombian players in the group um, Spanish speaking obviously um, and I kind of because I was I was trying to learn Spanish for myself anyway I kind of said to them well at any time that you now see me in this environment I don't want you to speak in, in English with me just speak Spanish because um, you know, I do believe you know you're immersing yourself in it is how you're going to get it. Um, so it got to a point where you know, first few days I'm like, mm, yeah, I've been doing a bit of a bit of learning about you know different words and phrases here, but the confidence part is another element. It's right. I know some, what some of this means, but actually being able to kind of now implement and use it is a, is a separate conversation. Um, and got to the point where I'm thinking to myself, I know what you're saying, but I'm not too sure that I can respond. Yeah. Um, and eventually, over time, you might be right. I can only respond in, in, I guess, broken words. Um, then it was, okay, I can string together a sentence. And I found myself over time, because I'm now trying to get them to kind of be consistent with it. And I think the same applies for me as a coach. If I'm now consistent with it, um, they'll, they, they will clock onto that, as you said. And they will, they will respect that and buy into that because they'll be like, oh, well, this guy's actually taking an effort to connect with us and relate with us. You know, even, and I think also that element of, yeah, I'm going to put myself out there, make myself vulnerable and allow you to see me in a vulnerable position. Yes, I'm the coach, but actually, just like you, I'm, I'm also a learner. It might be learning on different things, but I'm also a learner. So let's, let's help each other here. And I think it's that, that camaraderie and that collaborative approach to development that, that was really important for me and I really kind of picked up from going through that experience. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree with you. I think going, going back to one of the questions asked about like one of the things I may have done or, you know, picked up during, during my time overseas is I think how to utilize people. I didn't utilize maybe the, my staff in India as well as I should have done at the time. And it wasn't, it's because I didn't know how to, it wasn't that I'd never get, didn't delegate or give them responsibilities. 
I should have been a bit more effective um, in in things that I did and have more of a, a collaborative approach to how things were done in terms of structure of training, game plans, all of those types of things. Initially, it was my ideas. This is what I would like to, to do rather than understanding everyone's point of view. Everyone's should have an input into what we what we are trying to do here. And I think, you know, on reflection of that, when I came back to England and seeing maybe how, especially, you know, in this country, we're using like a multidisciplinary approach so much more and it's so effective. Understanding how to use that and 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 put that into, into play effectively. If I had known how to do that uh, when I was out in India, I think potentially the results or the performance or the way I would have worked would have been so much, so much better. But again, you only know what you know, right? And I think like, again, coming back to, to, to Barnet, it's, it's taught me so many things that I might not have been aware of in a completely different environment to what I've ever been used to before. Um, but I do think, yeah, utilising people is really, really, really important because you can't take it all on yourself. You can't take the whole responsibility of everything. We, you know, I think you have to share that, uh, share that load. De- definitely, I think you're spot on there. And, you know, just kind of on that then, you know, speaking of sharing load, I want to know about sharing messages and information. Now, you know, you've had a load of experiences, um, both in and outside the country, working in uh, youth and senior football. If you could go back to yourself, Lee Johnson, AJ team, he's just crept onto his level two, he's just finished that. What would be some of the messages or a key message that you want to give yourself if you had the opportunity back then? Believe in yourself. I think something that I have struggled with over the years is that kind of self-belief um, that, that, you know, you are capable and you are good and you can do it. So I think if you knowing 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 that now, that's something that I would have definitely have said. And I think maybe actually having an actual clear vision or a clear goal of of where you want to be. I think that's important, especially now, like a lot of work I'm doing with the Premier League on my hot course is all about, um, it's like individual goals, like it's your focus of where you want to be, what you want to achieve and how you're going to do it. So it's, and and especially with the job that I was doing at Barnet at the time, it was about developing people. Everyone's journey was different. So you had some coaches that would want to, to work at this level. Some coaches just wanted to get this qualification, okay. You're setting targets and goals for for individuals, and maybe that's something that potentially I would have done differently when I was younger. But then again, this is fairly new now. Like all of these kind of approaches into how we work is is completely different from from what it was back then. You was almost like left to your own devices to kind of find your way, sort of thing. And if you you know if you got in with the right people. Um, and they could help support and, and mentor you. Then, then that that would have been that would have been great. But I definitely think about having that kind of belief um, that you're good enough to to do stuff because it is intimidating when you when you were a young lad. When I was 18 or 19, I was stepping into this uh, working environment in football. Everyone that I worked with at the time was nearly old enough to be my dad. You know, so I was a young kid. You know, and they had kids of the same age as me. So straight away, you're, you know, it's it's a culture shock. It's completely different, and you do have to grow up quite quite fast. And um, yeah, but that's 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 
like the foundations of who we are as people, right? We have to go through these experiences and that's what shapes us. Um, 100%. Now, speaking of like a shaping, <clears throat> you've gone through all those experiences. You've most recently been the head of coaching at Down at Barnet. Um, unfortunately, the academy has now folded. But where is next for Lee Johnson? So at, current, at this current moment in time, I'm, I'm still like doing my my uh, course with the Premier League, the EHOC. So the EHOC basically is a course that that supports you in the job uh, that you're that you was doing, and it's all about kind of mentoring um, uh, and uh, managing and, and leading lead, leading people. Um, and at the end of that, you, you know, we'll get like a postgraduate diploma in coach education and coach development. So that's something that I'm continue, you know continuously working on now. Uh, should hopefully graduate next year so that's that's my focus but you know I, I want to I want to get back into the game and I want to work at the highest level that I can possibly work at I, and I love coaching I love working with with players um, but I, I, you know, I like developing people as well um, I think I'm also you know open to the potential opportunities of going overseas again because you know I'd like to I'd like to make sure I have loads of different experiences. And when I look back when I'm older and think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I've done that, 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 and never missed out on something. So for me, I, ju I just want to get back into to coaching. I'd like to uh, potentially take a role up as a head of coaching again um, to support the, the course that I'm doing, um, because I think it's a good role. It's, again, it's a different, different job that I've done before. Um, and I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed the actual experience and the opportunity to to be a part of the actual program um, but something inside me still wants to go back into senior football because I miss that kind of I miss that whole kind of that buzz that excitement the you know the positive and negative stress that comes with that it's it's something it's a bit of a drug it's a bit of a buzz and we'd like to get that back so if if an opportunity came and it was right for me and my family then I'll definitely consider it Excellent. You know, kind of just trying to build on that. We start to wind down now. Then, you know, if I gave you sixty seconds now to kind of wrap up some golden nuggets for the listeners and viewers, what what would that that or those be? I think never turn down an opportunity because um, if you don't take it, somebody else will. And even if you don't think you're ready, just do the job and learn on the job. You're going to make mistakes, but you learn from those mistakes. So that that would be one. Have confidence and. And, you know, the self-belief that, you know, that you're capable of, of doing, doing a job or working at a certain level. Um, and, you know, I'd say set yourself targets, set yourself goals. So if you want to work at a Cat One Academy, if you want to be a manager of a, of a senior team or work at international level, then set that as your target and work towards that. Um, and, you know, it's never going to go smooth. It's going to be some bumps along the way. Um, and it's how you overcome that. But I think if you've got a clear objective of where you would like to be, then that's that's one thing I would say. And and then I think finally is understanding that coaching isn't just about you know working with players on the pitch. It's bigger than that. It's 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 so much bigger than that. I think it's about building relationships and having good communication with people first and foremost. Because if you don't have that. No matter how good a coach you are, you're going to struggle. And I think if you get that right, then your coaching will take care of itself. Um, because 
there's some really knowledgeable coaches out there that are very bad communicators, but there's some really good communicators and, and people that are able to develop good relationships with people that might not be as good at coaching, but can, uh, can manage people in a way um, that gets the best out of them. And I, and I think that if you can, if you can work on that and, and merge those two together, then you're giving yourself a good opportunity to have a good career in the game. Definitely. And, you know, just on a, I guess, a final note now then, you know, you've just by having this conversation sitting here with me today, you know, you've made yourself part of the coaches network. So I'm just curious to know, like, what is the, I guess, the message or the legacy that you want to leave behind for everyone else? Well, from my own personal, my own personal legacy, um, I suppose, uh, it's a difficult one, actually. It's like, I've never really thought of that before. I think, I think like, in terms of my own personal um, legacy, I just want to be known for being the best developer of people that I can possibly be, whether that's coaches or whether that's players or whether that's people working in, you know, within football or club. I think that's what I'd like to try to, to continue to be, uh, you know, the best developer of people that I can possibly be. Excellent. And Lee, just on a final note then, um, you know, if anyone, you know, wanted to get in touch with, with you, you know, because we've touched on some fantastic points throughout this conversation, I'm sure there'll be loads of people asking questions or wanting to know more. Um, and if they did want to know more, either beyond around what we've discussed today or even beyond potentially, is there somebody who can get in touch with you to do that? Yeah, so you can get in touch uh, on Twitter. Uh, my handle is um, Lee Johnson 80 and I'm also on LinkedIn. So you can search my profile on there. So they're, they're the two best ways to, to get in touch and drop me a message if, if you want to. Perfect. Well, Leo, thank you again for your time today. It's been very uh, insightful for me and I'm sure it has been for the listeners and viewers as well. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And uh, listen, you're doing a great job. You've interviewed some, some really good people over the last few months and uh, credit to yourself. Thank you. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.